Hi, I'm Jesse. And I'm Forrest. And this is The Crosscut, a podcast that contextualizes the news of the day with the story, themes, and motifs of a treasured or gross piece of cinema. Yeah. <laughs> there's some there's some moments yeah. uh, that we will definitely get to in this film. That's right. It is hard once again to wrap my brain around this being an Oscar-nominated Best Picture film. Sure, yeah. We'll get into theories about why later, yeah. maybe. Um, I mean, it's not a bad movie. <clears throat> sure. It just doesn't feel like... Like the idea of... It's not Ben-Hur, right? You know, it's not... Right. Uh, I'm trying to think of like... It's not Moonlight. It's not austere. Right. Yeah. It is. It, it's 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 very tongue in cheek. I think it's yep. it's dark comedy. Very much. Yep. Um, it's very self aware. It's. I mean. It's. Yeah. So it's it's just it's interesting. It just um is confusing. Sure. Yes. In in, in some ways on purpose. Yeah. And I would also argue in some ways, um, n- not necessarily. Uh, we'll get into why, but yeah. you know, it's, it's well, actually, got some flaws backing up though, because I don't think we actually said the name of the film. <laughs> oh, that's right. This week we're covering triangle of sadness, the new Ruben Oslin film that came out in uh, October 7th of 2022 unlimited release. And as of this recording, I believe is slated to come out on Hulu Ooh. March the third. And so yes, third or fifth, right. one of those. And so you'll be listening to this episode um, and we'll we'll talk through it. And there's really not a lot to spoil in the first sort of two acts of this episode. Um, and we'll give you a spoiler alert before the third act. And then uh, you can pause and come back once you've seen it, uh, given your lovely Hulu subscription that I'm sure you all have. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah, it is. Uh, it is definitely. Yeah, I would say it's not something that if you watch. If you watch the film, there's not really going to be, again, like a lot of spoilers. Yeah. It's not going to be a lot of stuff that like that happens in the first two thirds of the movie that you couldn't just probably guess based off of stills from the movie that yes. are available yes. online or like trailers. The trailer. Yeah. Yeah. If you if you have seen the trailer, you basically know the first two thirds of the movie already. Right. We'll be talking about like plot points in it, but there's nothing there, that's it's like. very light. Those are very light. <laughs> yeah. There's nothing that, again, is going to be like, oh, I see dead people. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and if there were a place, if there were something to spoil in this film, the film doesn't even spoil it for you. Right. We'll get to it. But. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And uh, and so because of that, we are talking about something very related. Uh, and Forrest has no idea what the news story is this week. Not a clue. You wouldn't tell me. I, I begged and pleaded to try and get some insight so I could have some quips and some witty jokes ready. But I got nothing. So... I definitely just asked you if you I wanted know. to have it be just, a surprise. <laughs> just kidding. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I said, let's have it be a surprise. So, so that, drum roll. Well, we, last week we were talking about Tom Cruise and this week we are talking about a cruise cruise ships. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. We're going to run that theme <laughs> for the, the next one's going to be uh, black Panther Wakanda forever because it's in the water also. I don't know. <laughs> It's not not nominated for Best Picture. No, it is not. Uh, No, we are, this week we are talking about people retiring. Okay. On cruise ships. Wait, oh, oh, uh, like when you, when a cruise ship can no longer sail and they have to retire it, so they like. No. Oh, okay. People deciding to live out the rest of their lives on cruise ships. Oh, kill me. Jesus. Okay. (laughs) No, uh, no, no. 
I think we should start this episode by me first confronting the fact that I will never go on a cruise. It sounds awful and it's terrifying. It's a small fear of mine uh, to be trapped hundreds or thousands of miles away from land and no way to escape. Uh, no, thank you. No, so, thank folks, you. I didn't know exactly what Forrest's reaction was going to be to this news story, but I did have the intuition that whatever it would be, I did want it to be captured um, in a recording of <laughs> yeah. some kind. Yeah. Is it weird that my second thought is, great, you live on a cruise ship now, you can't vote anymore. You don't live in America, you can't vote, you uh, old boomers. I don't think that's true. Uh, you know what? They still have to pay taxes. Well, I'll tell you what. And the whole you, thing about taxes and like representation. I'll tell you what. You don't have to pay taxes anymore. Just get the heck out of here. No voting. I don't think that they they should be listening to you though, because <laughs> yeah, those, those two things are what's, still true. <laughs> what's the worst that could happen? Just listen to me and don't pay your taxes. You'll be fine. <laughs> what are they going to do? Come find you on your cruise ship? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they will. <laughs> okay. Well, anyway, let's do our nice little music interlude, and then you can tell me more about this incomplete insanity. <laughs> let's do it. As an increasing share of the baby boomer generation crosses the threshold into retirement and the cost of living continues to rise, more and more people are making the decision to spend their golden years at sea. In fact, Storylines, a luxury cruise line, is currently building the first fully residential cruise ship that will travel around the world nonstop with plans to have its maiden voyage set sail in 2025. So... Instead of the villages, it's the islands. That is what I have in my notes. I said it's the villages on a boat. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's, it's it's. It, I think they just took like the bad notes from Hollywood in the mid '90s, and they're like, you know, it's like speed on a boat, but with all old people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like we just put all the stuff on a boat, and that'll be successful. <laughs> Avatar two. It's like Avatar I, on a boat. I do think that this entire scenario is setting itself up for a like some kind of a sitcom treatment. Mm. I, I do think like, you know, the it could love be boat, but the, like the senior love boat. Yes. Right. Or like golden girls on a mm. boat, the golden years. I don't know. Something, something around the golden seas that has to do with P. Yeah. Probably. I was about to say, maybe that's. A... <laughs> don't do that one. The golden showers. <laughs> um, no, but I, I do think that there's, this is just like rife for like comedic sit, situation comedy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, too bad Ruben Oslin already got to it, or he could have done one. But uh, yeah, I think uh, that this does sound like it could have been really good in the late 70s, early 80s. I don't know that we do a lot of like like uh, studio-based sitcoms anymore. Well, I don't know that this would have to be a studio. I mean- Well, you're not going to film it on a cruise ship. They do on CBS. We don't really watch CBS That's type true. stuff. But That's I true. do feel like they, they do on- See, you know, they've got the big like, boat theory. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, that the one with uh, Charlie Sheen, right? Whereas two guys and a kid. Two and a half men. There you go. Yeah. Uh, that's uh, yeah. That's was still a while ago. It but... was a while ago. Uh, I think that there there are those. Maybe it would be a Netflix show. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. I guess, you know, I don't you think have... it would necessarily like it doesn't even necessarily have to be like uh, <laughs> like a like a sitcom. It could be something on like. HBO Max, White yeah. Botus. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I was thinking, I'm like, well, you know, 
if you have like if you have twenty million dollars a year, you're investing in a entertainment, you know, and stuff like that. Netflix could just buy a boat, I guess. But the the problem then, and I should have researched this for the podcast about the movie, mm-hmm. uh, was like I don't actually know if they filmed on a real ship or if they were crafting those sets. Like I have no idea. So I will research that while you're telling me more about these old people on a boat. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, I mean, I guess the big question is because you said you are very much against cruise lines, cruise ships, cruising in general. Yes. And uh, your sentiment is not in line with the general sentiment of Americans. Yeah, because most Americans are wonderful, lovely people who like boats more than me. Mm, well, according to a new AAA survey, of U.S. adults are just as likely or more likely to consider taking a cruise vacation as they were before the pandemic, which is up from 45% uh, a year ago. Huh. Well, I mean, I guess it's like not a surprise that it's going up as we get further and further away from the pandemic. But um, yeah, Uh, still, why would you do it? (laughs) Well, I think that's a good question. And, you know, one of the questions is like, if you are a person who is retired, right? Like, and this is one of the thing, one of the points in my notes, like, what does it, what are the benefits of this? And, and obviously like in, in retirement, you know, there are going to be a couple different, there are three different phases of, of retirement, right? Okay. There's the phase that where you're active and healthy and fully independent at the beginning. There's a phase that you move into where you maybe need a little bit more assistance with meals and household chores. And then there's obviously the final phase, which is like a much greater level of care, yeah. um, leading to the ultimate final phase. Hey. Uh, but it's the final countdown. <laughs> if you are retiring and you are either living fully independently or maybe just need help with meals and household chores, living on a boat where you have 24-hour rooms, it's a luxury cruise, right? And these are these are places yeah. where um, it's fully inclusive. You have people who bring you food cook you meals 24 hours a day, do your laundry, do house, you know, um, do your cleaning chores or whatever. Uh, These are things that, that you would be paying for anyway on land. But, but on land, here's the fun thing. Mm. When you take a step, you don't fall into the water and, and die in the sea. There are railings on boats though. Uh, Yeah. How many people, did you look up how many people fall over railings on cruise ships every year? It's got to be in the thousands. Let's look no, at I'm it real just, quick. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's about 72 people per year. That is higher than I would have expected. What are you? Get away from the railing. <laughs> but 72 people per year out of millions, millions in 2018. And millions. There were 26.5 million people who who um, yeah. cruised in 2018, 27.5 <clears throat> million in 2019, much fewer in 2020. You would think. Yep. 7 million people still decided <laughs> wow. to get onto a cruise ship in 2020 and 13 million in 2021. <laughs> that was a test. We have now tracked those 7 million people. They will not be reproducing. <laughs> Interestingly, those are the people who are more likely to fall overboard. That is right, yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it, it, if you if you really consider it, though, like what, 72 out of... 26.5 million mm. is actually incredibly low. Yeah, but okay, but, but, mm. but. Yes. If I'm on a nice house with the ground around it, how many people fall out of their house into the ocean? Zero. <laughs> so I'm just saying. I, 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 I think that the fear you have mm. is fair. Mm-hmm. 
um, but also maybe unfounded a yeah. little bit too. Yeah, yeah. It's so it's not just that. It's not like the idea of falling over the railing necessarily, mm-hmm. but it's like sometimes these ships like run aground. Sometimes mm-hmm. they get stuck in the Suez Canal. Okay, that wasn't a cruise ship, but but I didn't. My my boss uh, yeah. uh, uh, said gave, told a story about how he was supposed to take a cruise ship down to like the Dominican Republic or something from Miami, and the ship just got moored when it landed at the Dominican Republic, and they got stuck there for three days, yeah. like just on the ship. And I'm like, I don't like this doesn't happen if you go to a hotel in the Dominican Republic. You take your little airplane, you get off the airplane, you're at a hotel. You're fine. Why are you in the water? Why are you in the water? Why? Some people just love the water. You can see the world. Also, not only that, but on these ships, I mean, these are these are again, these are like luxury resorts that just float in the water. Right. And so on these ships, you have. Um, all of your food and lodging is paid for. You have utilities paid for, Wi-Fi, housekeeping, social gatherings. You also have things like guest lecturers, movies. It's like it's just it's all the things that you would have in a retirement, like yeah. a very nice retirement community, maybe nicer. And you get to go all the way around the world. And yeah. it's not necessarily uh, more expensive than a retirement community. I mean, I guess that's that's more of an indictment of our current retirement like yes. community system than it is anything else. But it's also. Like, but then like every third day you're like puking your guts out because you got a little bit of uh, turbulence in the water and you're swaying back and forth. It's like, I don't think water gets turbulent. You know what I mean? Like, uh, waves. No, <laughs> what do you call it when there's choppy seas, like storms ahead? Yeah. I don't know. Like whatever. I, that. I, I, I think though that again, these boats are so large. You don't, you don't feel it. Like some people do, but but a lot of people you just don't even notice it. Yeah, I, don't I know. obviously we are in a different state of mind given the movie that we that we yeah. literally just watched two days ago. Yeah, but these boats are insanely large compared mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to the boat, the yacht that we saw in right. The I mean, movie. I know that. Yeah, I understand the size difference. I guess I'm just saying, like, it's still gotta like. I know there are people who like get on a cruise and then when they get off, they like have a hard time like walking straight because there is a difference. Your body, Mm -hmm. it's like imperceptible to you in the conscious mind, but like your body internalizes it, right? Yeah. Um, Talk to a friend who like took a cruise one time and then when she got off was like in bed for like four days because she had like some post-cruise like, uh, you know, like like vertigo or something like that. Mm -hmm. It was was weird. Uh, But like, I guess if your final destination is the Lord, then maybe you don't have to deal with vertigo. Maybe he just like, like blesses you and you're good. Sailing there. all the way up to those pearly gates. Yeah. Man. Ugh, boy. I don't know. It seems like a good way to get rid of old people. It's like a nefarious scheme. Because it's like, oh, hi, my dearest children. Uh, as I enter my late life, I'm going to be living on a cruise ship where you can't visit me. Oh, whoop, there I go out the chute into the furnace. It's like, I, it seems nefarious. There's something about this that seems evil villain to me. Is Elon Musk involved? <laughs> <laughs> I don't necessarily disagree with you only because of like the, the I don't have whatever this like very large <laughs> distrust is that you have yeah, of yeah. all of this. But as I was reading this and I was, it was reading about, you know, what are the pros and cons of choosing to live on at sea? So even before this storylines yeah. cruise ship um, was built, there were people through the past, you know, articles talking about people over the past like five years or so who had been choosing to just live for years at a time on cruise ships. They would just, Mm. some people would just book literally 52 back-to-back week-long cruises. 
or they would use like, you know, mile, not miles, but you know, their, yeah, their cruise points or yeah, their points programs to like get discounts or to negotiate like extended, um, extended deals. Um, there is, um, one cruise line that has something like 174 day cruise, um, that travels around. Oh no. Royal Caribbean has a 274 night cruise that, um, that travels all the way around the world. And, it is something that people just do, right? They just yeah. decide this is where I'm going to live um, full time. And as I was researching it, you know, there were a lot of downsides that were listed to like yeah. you choosing to live on a cruise, especially in your later years. So like some of them were just interpersonal or social, like you won't be able to see your family yes. or friends as much. Yeah. That's the first thing that stuck out to me as being like an actual concern, not just like being incinerated in a furnace by an evil villain, but like, your kids aren't going to be able to see you on a cruise. Like how often do you park near where they live? Or right. Or it's also harder to develop like lasting relationships um, because passengers and crew kind of, they kind of come and go. Sure. Right. Um, it's also potentially, potentially harder for singles to find a partner. Um, it can be exhausting for introverts like you and I, mm -hmm. because you're constantly having to have those like initial interactions with yeah. people. And also a lot of cruise lines don't allow pets. Ah, so, so those are definitely some downsides in addition to obviously feeling confined and the medical staff aboard a cruise ship is going to be limited. Yeah. So if you are, especially an older person doing things like managing your prescription medication or scheduling time, you, you know, you'd have to schedule time off the ship to get routine checkups or what do you do in a medical emergency when you're mm -hmm. potentially, you know, very, very far away from a hospital. Yeah. Occasionally a pirate will just toss a grenade up to you. <laughs> Right. And then what do you do? <laughs> so th there's that. There's also the just like logistics of like our government. Right. You can't use Medicare if you're not in the country. So you have to find a different kind of like health care coverage. And then you also um, will definitely just be kicked off the boat if you become so ill yeah. long term that that they can't like handle you they have to take you like hospice or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Or I mean, not even hospice, but like just chronically Ill. just like if you have some kind of like a chronic illness that they can't take care of. Yeah. Right. Um and then there's also just like a bunch of other additional like contingency plans and backups because like what if there is a mechanical breakdown of your boat or what if there is a yeah. Um, yeah. a hurricane yeah you know yeah so there yeah. there are all definitely these all these things and and I read this article that was from I don't know like a few years ago talking about all of the downfalls of this living and then I started reading articles about this new cruise line. And the thing about this new cruise line is it feels like somebody read this article and then came up with a scheme and then mm. came up with uh, answers conveniently sure. to all these problems. Sure, well, I mean, that's that's doing market research, I guess, but <laughs> right. it's also like, uh, <laughs> are they lies or are they actual answers? Well, and, and so I read one other article from six months ago that was talking about this cruise, which is the, for, again, from Storylines. And they were like, no, also talk to your financial advisor because this boat has not started being built yet. Yeah, yeah. And they're taking millions and millions and millions of dollars from people Ooh. to live on this boat. <laughs> Ooh, well, hmm. Now, I will so, say. So you're saying it is an Elon Musk thing. <laughs> well, it kind of feels like it. It Scam. felt like it. But I did read an article from just this past December. Yeah. From CNBC yeah. that said that it had started being built. It is currently being built at a port in Split, Croatia. And okay. it will set sail in 2025. So it is no longer a hypothetical. Um, and you can go on the 
on their website and take a virtual tour oh, of the cool. ship. Oh, cool. Virtual tour of a virtual ship. Uh, yes. Well, speaking of virtual ships, by by the way, yes. Uh, in this film, Triangle of Sadness, mm-hmm. the ship that they use was actually built for the movie. Oh, okay. And then destroyed. Well, yeah, sure. They yeah. did destroy it at the end. Uh, would you like to know anything about this boat? So, yes, but I, I feel like I can't get past the first I- issue of of imminent doom and then the second issue of how bad cruises are for the environment and so it's just like isn't this like we're all of the the positives that you mentioned exist on retirement homes in like on terra uh and all of the negatives don't the travel aspect of it does not okay fine that's one that's one you got but i don't know it just seems like why why take all those risks But anyway, sorry. Yes. Tell me more about the boat. Okay. So the boat, which is named the NV Narrative, is a 741 foot long luxury cruise liner with an uh, 18 decks. And it has actually relatively small. It is uh, it has 547 residences for a thousand travelers. Okay, so you got some partners and some singles. Right. Exactly. Okay. Um, and it has a variety, it has like 11 different kinds of room layouts, but they have basically three levels, um, of room. Well, no, maybe they have different levels, but the, the ones that I, I found were, uh, condominiums, mm-hmm. which are kind of in the middle. Um, they have studios that are about 237 square foot. And then they also have like very, very expensive. Like the luxury. Lux- yeah. Ultra, ultra. Like the whole thing is luxury, right? But um, the the studios, if we start there, uh, that are 237 square foot are inside cabins. They have a virtual window. <sighs> and for the life of the ship costs about a million dollars. Okay. So um, I think... <laughs> this is bad. <laughs> I wanted to just say it slowly because it's gotten yeah. worse. Yeah. Th- that description is terrible. Yeah. It's a it's a tiny box mm-hmm. at sea that we put our old people and trick them into believing they can see the outside with a big old TV screen. That's bad. Is bad. It's bad <laughs> for people. So so that's the that's the very basic. That's yeah. the that's oh, for the pores. Yeah. That only have a million dollars. There is also the condominiums that have about three to four bedrooms. They're about 1,432 square feet. They're called the Encore Homes. And they also include a 215 square foot balcony. How much would you say that that range is? Five million. Eight million. Okay. So how many square feet did you say? Um, 1,432. Okay. So that's like less than half of what our house is. So it's like the first floor of our house. Yeah, it's, it's pretty big. But for a cruise ship, yes. For uh, the choice of anywhere to live, no. But <laughs> like, if you're just two people. Yeah, but if you're just two people, you could just buy a single ranch style house and have a home healthcare worker or whatever. And like, I, or whatever. Like, uh, it comes just, fully furnished. Like, yeah, okay. Right. And then finally, the most expensive is like over $9 million, And it's like two floors, the global homes. They've already all been sold. Uh-huh. I bet. And I bet there's a bunch of people who won't even live in them. I bet they're all sold to like uh, investment class, you know, international richie riches. Maybe. I mean, you can kind of obviously come and go. You're not able to. You're not, they're not kept there. <laughs> you can come and go as you please. How do you get out? How do you leave? Well, they they dock at ports okay. for days at a time. Hmm. 
And hmm. so they have like excursions. It's a cruise ship, right? They, they'll they go from place to place. They'll stay at a place like for a few I'm, days. I'm paying $10 million. You better get me a helicopter on and off this ship. I didn't see a helicopter pad, but that doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Here sure. are some of the amenities on the ship, though. There are 20 restaurants and bars, three pools, a movie theater, a marina with a lounge, um, a garden, a microbrewery. There is a wellness, an entire wellness deck um, that has a running track, a pickleball court, a yoga sun deck, and a juice bar. There's also a medical um, offices mm-hmm, and yeah. doctors that are on board. Homeschooling for for families and children. Um, what? You can have pets. Children? Yeah. They expect that some families will live on board. What? Yeah. <sighs> It's just, it's one of those moments where like you're presented with something about the world you live in, occupy and believe to know and understand where you just say like, oh, I have no clue what's going on. Yeah. It's like, it's like the idea of like the electromagnetic spectrum of like all the forms of light that we can't perceive at all. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, that. that's it. This is like ultraviolet light in my world. I'm like, I, I did not see this, did not know it was there, but all of a sudden I'm getting burned by it. Well, and apparently they also will just have room for like resident crew. So people who just like live on board that have like the, the jobs that you would have in a community, like Mm. doctor, hairdressers, teachers, engineers, electricians, nurses, and medical assistants. Like these boats are just built to be living communities. It's almost an interesting study for if we were to send a spaceship. I mean, that's what I was thinking is like the only reason you ever use those little virtual windows is if you were in outer space, not if you were in the ocean. Yeah. Um, there's also like financial planners, insurance brokers, lawyers, real estate agents, accountants, all of these people just like live on Mm. board the ship and are available to the residents. Well, look, I'm excited for sea madness. That'll be great. Uh I'm excited for them to, I guess, finally harpoon the sea beast, whatever it is they're doing with their retirement years. That's destroying the earth. Just, just like, just the, I, mm, the, the (laughs) boomer nonsense of saying like, I've spent my entire life extracting all the value from everything around me and burning every resource the earth has to give us that I'm going to take my final years and invest it in a ship that's gonna go around and be the most polluting thing that I've done for my entire fucking existence until I (laughs) catapult myself into the sun. (laughs) Ah, yeah. Ah, This pod, I'm done, podcast over. (laughs) Uh, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. Is this worse or better than the people on the boat that we're is, about to talk about. It is the same. It is the same. <laughs> All right, great. Well, then I did my job. Oh, God. I had this I had this nice <laughs> ending planned for this episode about like how human beings are actually good and responsible people and that we get a bad name from things like this, this movie, et cetera. Uh, and that has just completely gone out the window. Uh, uh, Twist ending. Uh, I'm so sad. Okay. Right. Well, do we want to go ahead and just uh, talk about the film? Uh, yeah, I guess. <laughs> uh, it's a movie. It's called Triangle of Sadness. I am in it right this, now. This room I is am the in. Triangle of it's Sadness. It's a square of sadness. <laughs> this film is directed by a guy by the name of Ruben Osland. He is a Swedish filmmaker. And his first, uh, first film that people might know, he, he's done some that were uh, international, but the first one that was large in America was called Force Majeure. Okay. Um, and the set, the next was called The Square. So um, his sort of take on, on this film, on Triangle of Sadness, is that it is thematically a trilogy with those first two. Um, he tends to explore themes like the expectations of masculinity, 
uh, changes in power dynamics and sort of insulated or insular uh, communities of people with their own, um, you know, sort of rules of their world, right? So, well, then that is continuing along in this film. Yeah, exactly. So the first film, Force Majeure, was set in like a ski resort. Um, mm-hmm. It actually got a remake with Will Ferrell um, in the US. I don't remember what that was called. Nobody saw it. But um, the idea was that there's a family, they're at a ski resort, they're sort of eating together out in the chalet, and there's an avalanche that occurs. And the father figure runs away, but he leaves his wife and kids behind at the table. Mm-hmm. And so the entire film is the response to like him like failing this sort of test of masculinity and, and whatnot. Um, and then the um, second film is The Square, which is set in the world of like high art. Um, and then this is obviously set in the world of like very rich luxury cruise or yachts. Right. So um, he, interestingly enough, uh, he sort of brings a lot of his own personal experiences into this movie. Um, the movie is divided into three sections. Uh, the first is an introduction to the two main characters, uh, Yaya and, hang on, I always forget this guy's name. Carl? I keep, yeah, it's Carl. I keep wanting to call him Chad. Cool. He kind of looks like a Chad, but his name is Carl. Mm. Um, played by, uh, Carl's played by Harris Dickinson and Yaya is played by Charles B. Dean, uh, unfortunately, who passed away recently. She did? Yeah, yeah. She had a, some sort of undisclosed illness that she got very sick and, and passed away. Oh, wow. Yeah, what, was she a model? Uh, she was a model in South Africa, yeah. And so uh, had done a few other things in addition to this, but this was kind of like her breakout, right? This one, the Palm yeah. Can. It was, uh, um, you know, nominated for Best Picture. Like she was going to probably see a lot of the benefits of the success of this film. Um, and unfortunately. She was very good. She was good, yeah. I, I mean, especially like. For like a model, which you just don't necessarily expect a model to be very necessarily be very good. Like yeah. obviously, you do have your exceptions. Uh, your Mila's Jovovich <laughs> well, and well. <laughs> Charlize Theron's. Yeah. So the the thing that she does well, and there's a, a breakdown of the dinner scene between the two of these characters. Mm-hmm. Um, in the first part of the movie, it's about their relationship, right? Um, and so there, he, Ruben Aslan does a breakdown on, that I saw on YouTube. I think for Vanity Fair, mm-hmm. and he's talking about this scene. Um, where they're at dinner, the check has come, she's on her phone because she's an Instagram influencer um, and just waiting there. She knows the check is there, it seems, but isn't refusing to pay for it. The guy is sitting there like, mm. uh, and then he leans forward. And as soon as he leans forward to, to see it, she says, oh, thanks, babe. And then like the way that she carries that scene, you see him break it down. Mm-hmm. She like, like he starts to reach, she sees the look for the check. Then she looks up at him and gives the smile and it's like, ah, okay. So like, the way she was able to use her eyes in those scenes, the sort of subtlety of her nature and a lot of the um, performance was, was great. Like she was very good. Yeah. Um, but in that first opening part, the, 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 this is where you kind of get an understanding of the type of comedy I would say that you're going to get from the film. Sure. There are two main things that happen. The first is like a cold open onto the world of like fashion modeling. <laughs> right. And that's, that's pretty funny, but it's sort of treated uh, you have an inter interlocutor who is like um, a documentarian or something who's going around interviewing these models and just being funny. It's almost like the person who would be running the camera for a mockumentary. Yeah, it, I mean this felt this felt very Zoolander, but like darker. Yeah, I I would even say that the style of comedy for this scene and for the the dinner scene mm-hmm. was like The Office, but like the the UK Office, right? Yeah, it's like cringe comedy. It's right, like right. oh, it's very uncomfortable, and so it's is that funny? Like I personally 
don't find it to be that funny. Uh, it's or not kind of a best in show. Yeah, a little bit, but like even best in show has some like zanier elements to it. Yeah. This is like, oh, isn't it so funny to be trapped in an argument that you can't escape about like who's going to pay for dinner? And I'm like, no, I don't find that to be very funny at all because I don't. I, I think that the I, I don't know. I felt like they were both being kind of dumb. And I honestly. I, I think I was watching this and my notes were uh, l- just let the shitty lady leave and consider this tab to be an asshole tax. Like this is you, like, why? there's no point in arguing over this. Right. Just pay for this last meal and then be finished with this person in your life. Right. Because you yes. clearly want completely different things. Yeah. And the other side of it is like from from my perspective, I was like. If you want her to pay for the meal, just say, hey, you mentioned you were going to pay for this last night. If you would pay, that'd be lovely. If you don't want to, just let me know and we'll just figure that out for the future. But, you know, whatever, like, but just like have a straightforward conversation about it. And like the problem with this is like he was being so like passive aggressive, passive aggressive about it that I didn't find it to be funny because I didn't relate. I found it to be obnoxious. And so that was my I was just like, eh, these characters are lame. Now, they're I, like, I again, there were parts of this early section that I thought were like, well done. The the opening part where it's like Balenciaga, H&M, like any right. like changes, like model persona for right. like those brands that was well done. And like, and it was pretty funny. And that's in the trailer also. Yes. I did see that before. Yeah. And then the, um, there's a part where they're like in an elevator arguing about the, the money or whatever. Mm-hmm. And she like puts a, puts money in like his shirt mm-hmm. and like his like response to that, like as an actor was actually brilliant. It, it gave you this idea of like, he has a feeling of being almost like a stripper or like a, being commoditized as like a piece of meat. Right. His and job so, is his body. Yeah. And so somebody like putting money like into his shirt like that, it, you could tell a switch like flipped. He was like upset before about the thing and he was having an argument and that happened and he felt like his character or like his, his being, his soul was like hurt. And so like that, he conveyed that very well for what to that point had been like kind of ridiculous because he's like letting the door close and then like reaches in and like pulls the you know elevator doors <laughs> apart. So like it's a mix of like some things that are funny and some that are not. Right. Um, but like he does a couple things that I think I, I just don't, I don't vibe with in comedy, which is like, something going on overly long. Like, I think... By he, you mean the director the or director, the actor? Writer, director, uh, Ruben Austin. Yeah, okay. He lets that scene go on so long that it becomes absurd, which I'm sure is what he's looking for. Right. Is it's just not my brand of, like, comedy that I prefer. Right. So the, the, the bit with the door was one of those things that if it had lasted half as long, I think I would have gotten it. And yeah. I think he was obviously trying to make it last so long that it just like gets your heart rate up because it is exasperating yes. at that point. I think you're right. And yeah, that's that's probably true. Um, one of the influences for that scene is apparently uh, Ruben Osland and his wife uh, had that argument at some point. So uh, he said eight years ago, he was in Cannes probably for force majeure. Um, and he, they were not, they were dating at the time, but not married. And he invited her to Cannes uh, to just hang out and like, you know, see the city and be part of the event or whatever. Um, to which I say, well, then you're paying, bro. Like if you invite someone to one of the most expensive cities in France, right. like congratulations, you're paying for dinners. And he said like, he paid like for the first three dinners. And then she says, oh, you know, jokingly, like next time I'll, I'll get you or whatever. And then the bill came on the fourth night and she didn't like try to pay it. So they had this argument and I'm like, I can't believe she let him tell that story about I, her. <laughs> I had that same thought today. I said uh, to myself, if I presented you with a movie that I had made and you saw like an argument that we had had on screen, your response would be, hmm. 
I mean, only if I was hmm. clearly the asshole. Like this is the the AITA. Um, right. I'm like like yeah. she is very clearly in the wrong. Sure. And like it, I would be upset if you presented an argument in which I was very clearly so wrong. <laughs> if you want to present an argument that where we have, you win, yeah, where yeah, yeah, no. like most of our arguments, I'm correct. Sure. Yeah. Just kidding. Um, I mean, but well, yeah. like if you want to if you want to show an argument where I win or because I'm 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 correct. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Go for it. Do that all the time. But if you if you want to put a movie uh, out there that has an argument where I am so clearly a bad person, <laughs> you know, we can keep that private. Yeah, right. I, I feel like you'd be like, well, this is an interesting way to choose how to die. <laughs> I'm going to put you in the in the shoot in the cruise. Mm. Boof to the fire tubes. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so that is the first part of the movie. Right. right. The second part is we're on the yacht. Mm hmm. And on the yacht, we're introduced to the people who are sort of the laborers, the ones who clean the ship. Uh, there's a hierarchy. So there are people who clean the toilets, people who clean the floors, uh, notably, predominantly people of color. Um, then there are the people who are the sort of what it's not. I was going to say attendants, but like, you know, the just staff. The, people who, the staff who who like get the drinks and serve the food. The and wait all that. Yeah, the wait staff. And so they are predominantly white Europeans. Well, yeah, and I think that was interesting because I was not necessarily expecting the peek into the world of like the the people who clean, yeah. right? The cleaning yeah, yeah. staff, and I I think it's interesting that the director when when the director showed that I I was like, oh, that's that's actually nice to see um, that we don't, you know, there are a lot of shows out there right now. I think like Below Deck or something like that. Lower decks. There's, oh. there's some shows that are like reality shows. I think. And yeah, I think below deck is the lower decks is like the Star Trek. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I think below deck. It's just it's it's people who are basically the waiters and waitresses and like yeah. the support staff or whatever um, on this cruise ship. Except it's a reality show, which sounds absolutely awful, right? And I don't want to watch nope. any of that. I don't care. Yeah. But those are actual reality shows. I I don't know any time that I've seen clips of it that I've ever seen any of the people who do like the toilet cleaning, right? You know, and, and the the like the actual like the maintenance manual yeah. like labor that that white people in general in society don't tend to do right and so when he cut to the wait the waiters and like and and the attendants basically yeah. um and showed them i was like okay of course you're going to show that and that's interesting and then it cuts down even lower in the ship to the the people of color who right. do all of the like really hard manual labor right. um i i was like pleasantly surprised that we were going to get that sort of interaction and i did not expect it to go beyond that yeah I kind of expected it to just be like, oh, and here are some people down at the bottom of the ship who here they are, and uh, that's it. Yeah. who are not getting any of these big giant tips that they're just talking about. Yeah, and yeah. that's all that I have to say about that. Right. Um, in terms of the you know class relations. Right, and and so we'll get into uh, what I, what we actually see in, right. in a moment. Uh, one thing I meant to mention is um, part of the you know sort of thesis or the impetus for the film is another element of. Uh, Ruben Austin's life, which is his wife was a fashion photographer. Um, and so he thought that world of fashion mm -hmm. um, where you're trading sort of on beauty um, is an interesting one because that's a different type of currency and a different type of sort of uh, value that you can bring to a situation that can evaporate quickly as, you know, uh, happens in this film. Um, so what we um, what we see on the ship 
by and large, early on is, you know, the the various wealthy, super wealthy, mega wealthy people mm-hmm. uh, coming to the ship. The only one that we get really um, any information about in detail is this guy, Dimitri, who is a Russian oligarch who apparently sells manure in Russia um, and he has the monopoly on it. And so right. he's uh, obscenely wealthy, um, multi-billionaire, it seems like. Well, we get that guy. And then we also get the couple who um, are arms dealers. Yeah. See, I was going to say we don't actually know much about them. Like, we don't have them engage in long conversations or anything. They, we see them, like, two times, I think. Yeah. I guess I, if, if we're just talking about, like, oh, here's are the, here are the ultra-wealthy people on this yeah. boat. And him talking about the ways in which they get their money and right. like, sort of right, their right. backstory. We do find out that there are people who, like, they used to sell landmines to yeah. South Asia or to militaries like yeah. going to Southeast Asia, you know, I guess there's like the lonely uh, software developer. Right. Um, who, who like sold his company. Right. Um, and then, yeah, a couple more, but like my, one of my criticisms of this part is like, these people are all sort of like uh, the prototypes. They're not really like delved into his characters. They mm-hmm. sort of exist as like this, uh, this touch point of like, Oh, I know the person who's like that. So now we can just move on. You don't actually get a lot out of those characters in my opinion. Um, the the arms dealers, for instance, are used for two elements of comedy, right? They're like, the one is they expose that they're arms dealers and like, oh, we went through some hard times, but we stuck together. And right. it's like, they're sitting across the table from Carl and Yaya and there's like- It's again, you, it's a very best in show kind yeah, of situation. Yeah, like, you blow people up with bombs, like, or whatever. Right. And then they're used again uh, at the end of the second part when, again, uh, well, I'll get to it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the, uh, the, the Russian oligarch guy, um, Dimitri, uh, you know, we get a little more of him because he's actually spent some time like with the captain a lot of time, which again, as far as things in this movie, that go on for too long. There's like the Russian guy is a capitalist. The captain played by Woody Harrelson is a Marxist. Right. And they're just like quoting like the communist manifesto or whatever back to each other. They're just doing like, <clears throat> yeah, communist quote or not yeah. communist, but like socialist and Marxist quotes and, and, and like Reagan and Thatcher quotes yeah. like back and forth at each other for, for way too long. And, and it, as like raging alcoholics, yes, you know, um, it is interesting. I, I do, I do think that it was set up to go on for far too long. However, I do appreciate the payoff in, in the third act uh, sure. that, that we'll get to um, of like setting this guy, Dimitri, up to be this, you know, this huge capitalist yeah, who yeah, is yeah. a believer in, in you know, bootstraps and blah, blah, blah. Right, right, right. We also don't really see, but we hear and know about Woody Harrelson's character, the captain. He won't come out of his room. <laughs> like he's not really captaining the boat. I guess he's just getting incredibly wasted in his yeah. room and just not, not doing anything. He seems... Perhaps his soul has been put upon by having to uh, drive around all of these, you know, rich assholes. Yeah. What's interesting is I, I feel like there is the question in, in Hollywood. Maybe it's only just like me asking this question of like, what is what is everybody going to do when Bill Murray is no longer acting in films? Woody Harrelson. <laughs> and, uh, and Woody Harrelson said, I got this. Yeah, yeah, that's that's probably true. I mean, he he was a delight in the movie. He's, he's a delight yeah. in the movie, and and but uh, it feels very much in the vein of like something that like Bill Murray would have played this role 20 years ago. Yeah, that's probably right. Yeah. I mean, he had to go do Ant-Man, so. Yeah, is he an know. Ant-Man? He is an Ant-Man. All yeah. right. So we, we get to an agreement uh, between sort of the, the person who's the head of the waitstaff and then the captain. They're going to have this, you know, captain's dinner on Thursday night. Uh, she, of course, uh, plants the idea that, well, there's going to be low pressure zone coming in. So it's going to be a little bit of a stormy day. 
They are late to it because some crazy Russian lady demands all the crew go swimming. I thought it was interesting to have that that one lady, quote unquote, request everyone go swimming. Yeah. I, I think it did a good job of, again, demonstrating how you have these completely clueless, like rich people. Like right. they just, they have <clears throat> no idea what the things that they are asking of the people who serve them. Yeah. Yeah. Actually does to those people. Right. right? Like they are doing a job. Yeah. They're there to, to work and they will get and fired. to help you. Yeah. They'll get removed from this boat if somebody, if they look at somebody in a funny way. Yeah. And this lady is insisting that everybody stop everything that they do. Every single person on this boat stop and put on their bathing suits and go jump into the water. Yeah. And is completely oblivious to the impact that this has on these individual people and them trying to do their jobs and literally every person on this boat who is supposed to have dinner that night. Yeah. And she just, uh, these are just bodies for her enjoyment to be manipulated right. and uh, at her whim. And it's funny because she poses it as like, do something for the moment, live for the moment, I'm just doing jump this in. for you. Yeah, she's like, I'm doing this for you. You just need to break out of your habits. And, she, and the girl working is like, but I'm, I'm working. I got to do this stuff. Like, it's cool. I'm, I'm good. And she's like, do it. And it's like, it's not for anyone other than the rich ladies. Right. Own self-worth, feeling of self-worth or importance. And and it's like, I've, again, I've been in situations where I've, I've, had people do things like that as a person who's working where they like, you know, coerced you into doing something that you really shouldn't be doing when you're working. Sure. Yeah. Um, because they are the person who is they need that, in charge. Yeah. They need that attention. And it is, I think it was just, I, I at least appreciated that. Sure. Um, sure. from that perspective. Yeah. And, uh, well, it felt, it felt like, again, just like super awkward, but very, yeah. I, I a real awkwardness. Yeah. You also have to ha have a few moments early on to, uh, to set up the fact that these people who are on this ship uh, with the potential e exclusion of uh, Chad, uh, Carl and Yaya. Yeah. Uh, because they got it for free. They didn't pay for it. Mm -hmm. um, with their potential exclusion, um, everyone on the ship is a complete shitbag. Like just absolute the worst. Oh, yeah. And they, so absolutely terrible people. And the, the reason you have to set that up is because the end of the second part of this film at the captain's dinner mm -hmm. uh, in the midst of turbulent seas. Really and, quickly, we're going to say spoilers from this point on. Well, I would say that the end of this part is not spoilers because oh, it's in the it trailer. Is in the trailer. Yeah. That's true. That and, is true. And so there is turbulence. There are rocky seas. Everything's going Just back and forth. Just the worst fine dining food you could and ever they're, imagine. They're giving them like oysters and gelatin and all this stuff. I very much laughed at the line when someone was like, I feel like I'm getting seasick. And like, oh, well, then you should eat more because it's better to have food on your stomach. It's like, then here, no. have more of this kelp and it's raw like, fish. Your your <laughs> insane wealthy boat doesn't have Dramamine? Like, give them some Dramamine. The only good meal served in that entire room was Woody Harrelson's burger and fries. Yeah, he's, he's like, I don't really go for this fine dining stuff. And he just eats like a cheeseburger. But I'm fries. sure he's seen what comes out of that kitchen. Uh -huh. And he said, nah, mm -mm, nope. All set. All set. I have learned my lesson. Yeah. Well, the thing, another thing that's interesting is you sort of pointed this out that that Carl and Yaya are the, the two people on this boat that their life is very luxur luxurious, yeah. right? Because they are in fashion and, and whatever, but um, they are not rich as evidenced by act one. Yeah. And their squabble over over money. And they're they are like the sort of almost freeloaders yeah. Yeah, on that's this right. on this luxury, you know, trip that um is surrounded by very, very rich people. Yeah. Um, and it got me to thinking, would you like to know about the the actual like breakdown cost of living on a cruise ship 
versus living in an assisted living. I guess, sure. Okay. Uh, well, so if you're talking about like a, an independent or commercial, like assisted living facility, then, uh, they provide things like meal plans, housekeeping services, activities, and transportation, um, which is going to be similar to what we have in the cruise ship. Uh, those start at around $60,000 per year per person. Okay. Um, or around $164 a night. Okay. So this is going to vary obviously based on like the level of service. More expensive Hampton Inn. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, so $60,000 a year per person. If we're talking about cruise ships, you can just book, for instance, 52 back-to-back seven-night Caribbean cruises um, for around $43,000 per person okay. in an inside cabin. Okay. So that's $118 per night. Sure. Uh, and that's without negotiating for any kind of like lower fares or long-term arrangements. Um, if you wanted to go with the cheapest option, absolute cheapest option, you could do a carnival cruise ship on an older boat where you could get below $50 per person per night on the inside cabins and around 110 on the balcony cal- cabins. It's, it's it's so cheap to live in hell. <laughs> yeah. So that means that you're basically cruising for about uh, 18250 per person per year. Okay. Well, look, the only cruisin' I like is Smokey Robinson's Cruisin'. What is that? It's a song. Oh, okay. It's great. It's a lovely, (laughs) lovely, chill, beachy vibe song. Uh, It's as close as I will get to being on a boat in the middle of the ocean, I'll tell you that much. Yeah. Now, do you know why that's the closest I'll get? Because we actually didn't finish our discussion of the, like, what happens in the second part of the movie. Yeah. Uh, After eating all that fine food and being shaken around, everyone starts throwing up. Yes. And everyone starts pooping it out. Uh, I guess somebody gets later like, they are pooping the it norovirus out. or something like that. Uh, and so there's there's uh, vomit, there's puke, there's people sliding around in it. Like uh, I, I, a lot of people I've heard, like in discussions of this that I listened to in advance of this podcast, um, are like, "This is too gross for me." I had to like cover my eyes and like I couldn't take it. Like it was making me <laughs> sick. And I'm like, "You don't have children." I was do gonna you? say, you, I mean, so I have a dog and two very yeah. young children. Uh, I'm just immune at this point i i have had my five-year-old uh tell me he felt like he was going to throw up and i stood in front of him and caught it with my shirt so that it would not get on the carpet uh i am oblivious to this yeah i definitely just caught his throw up with my hands yeah 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 you just gotta do it so uh i thought this was this was funny like it was it was fine um but it reminds me of like an old snl sketch where they're like the it's like in the nineties, like Adam Sandler and Chris Farley and, and David Spade are all playing police officers and they show up to the scene of a murder and like the murder is so gruesome that like every new officer that comes up is just like, Oh my god. And they have like the hoses <laughs> in their mouth and stuff or in their uh, uh sleeve. And it's just like this is like a thirty minute version of that right. four minute SNL sketch. And I'm like, again, brevity is the soul of wit, my homie. Like you can get on with it. <laughs> I, I felt like this very much was it. It was it. It felt like it was Inglorious Bastards, but the Nazis were rich people and capitalists on a boat. Sure, it, it felt like um, that sort of revenge fiction. Yeah, like glamour over you, the top, yeah. over the top, like revenge film. Yeah, to people who have a lot of money. And I think capitalists. that's. I think that's right. I mean, even like the Oscar campaign for uh, this film is like there are no hidden or subtle themes in this movie. Like everything that you think this movie is talking about, yeah. like uh, Ruben Oslin has said in interviews. Yeah. Um, and in the uh, Oscar campaign for this, they're like, uh, 
two people, two privileged people of wealth, this movie is about you or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, all right, we we know. We got it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like he definitely is 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 making this entire scene just for people who who really yeah. hate capitalists. And so if that's you it's like, eat the rich and then throw them up. <laughs> yeah. Um, then then yeah, this is this is this is the film for you. Yeah. Um, but I I I it was it, it was a lot, but but as somebody who has had their baby literally throw up into their mouth <laughs> and uh, their other child just sneeze right into their eyeballs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know. All the fluids. Par for the course. Yeah. Uh, and and then uh, all of this chaos leads to, again, the drunken captain and his Russian buddy uh, yelling over the PA system uh, and citing the Communist Manifesto or what have you uh, so loudly that it, I guess, alerts nearby pirates who are just like creeping on by like, yeah. huh, what's that? A big ship. I guess we can go blow it up, which I don't think pirates would do. I think pirates would board the ship and commandeer it and then steal all of the expensive stuff. I don't think they would just explode it, but whatever. You gotta, I don't know. I don't, uh, I don't know a whole lot about pirates. Got to get to the third part of this movie somehow. Mm-hmm. So uh, by the way, the, the one other area where those weapons manufacturers come into play is here. Uh, spoilers now. Yeah. So now we're entering spoiler territory. So pause if you haven't seen it or if you care. Uh, there's a, a pirate just throws a grenade up into the, the back of the boat. And the woman who's the weapons manufacturer picks it up. And she's like, oh, is this one of ours? And then boom. And then she explodes, which good. Good. I'm glad she's dead. Yeah. I mean, again, this was this guy being like, hey, you know, all these people that are just the, the most evil people. Yeah. Fuck them. Yeah. Uh, and then we get into the third part of the movie, which is probably the last 45 minutes or so. Uh, a few of the characters end up on a island in the middle of wherever they are. And they never actually say like where this cruise is. So no. who knows? Um, but they uh, this is where we see some of the change in power status happen that he wanted to explore. Um, Yaya, who is washed up now, has like bug bites all over her face. Mm-hmm. So like some of her beauty is like diminished. So that currency loses some of its ability, whereas um, Carl is fine like he looks the same mm-hmm. um we also see um the, you know the the people were introduced to first like the russian is there the software developer guy is there there's a guy who worked in the engine room who's there mm-hmm. um and they start out living pretty terribly for a day or so um the head of the staff the is head of there. the staff is there um and a then blonde woman who ha- should not be out in the sun as much as yeah, she is yeah they are not good at survival stuff and so well, they're still very much in their roles yes. of of the ship, yeah, right? That's right? Where the the ultra rich people are just expecting the people who had the role of of worker on the ship to be their workers on this island, and yep. it's like, nah, sorry, well, but so yeah, that's right. And it starts explicitly when one of the submarines, like the rescue submarines from the yacht, washes up on shore, and inside is one of the workers um, from below the decks, um, Abigail. Mm-hmm. And uh, she is uh, played by Dolly De Leon, who was fabulous in this role. She did a fantastic job. So good. Um, and she, uh, when they, when they, when she opens up the door, the lady who's like the head of all the staff is like, "Get those! Uh, we're we're going to need you to get these things and bring them out um, and start to give pass out the food and whatever." And so it's clear that they're treating her as though she is still a worker on the the boat. Um, oh rat- yeah! I, if I were that lady, I'd have just lived in that boat. Yeah, just would have kept it closed until somebody. As soon as she asked me to hand her stuff out yeah. of the boat, I would have closed that window up and been like, "Nope, this yeah. is where I live now. This is where you live now." And 
talk to you in a couple of months. <laughs> right. So uh, anyway, she um, does does give them water and they whatever. And, and turns out, though, she's the only one who knows how to start a fire. She's the only one who knows how to fish. And so her status in this uh, world changes as soon as she catches an octopus, uh, makes some ceviche out of it, (laughs) and then uh, starts to pass it out. And she passes out sort of one piece of octopus per other person. But for every other person, she gets a piece of octopus. Right. I do love she was like, this is for you. This is for me. Yeah. This is for you. This is for me. Yeah. And um, it was, I think my note here is just, hell yeah, Abigail, because- that's that's what that's what this if we're talking about um, might is right or whatever right she is yeah. the she's the she's now the tables have now turned she is the person who yeah. um, holds all of the power right and um, I I think the only thing that was a little bit short sighted is is that she could have negotiated just in case they get off the island <laughs> right, right right that's true yeah because the billionaire was like I I'll give you all of the money in in the world or whatever and she's like I don't, what is that gonna do like mm-hmm. we're on an island. And it's like, right. well, yeah, but <laughs> they know where the yacht went down. They can follow the tracker inside of that submarine, I guess. It's whatever. very, it's 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 very possible yeah. somebody is looking for these ultra rich people. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, you're not very far off from where the boat was. Right. So it's not like this is a, an airplane that has just like fallen out of the sky. Right. You know, like there's there there's a very likely chance that they're going to find you. Right. And in that eventuality you should be negotiating for all of the things yeah, and yeah. you should be finding a stick and a piece of making a piece of parchment and having a contract, a contract signed. Yep. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, I like how you're just like, Oh, on this Island we'll find parchment, but <laughs> they, I'm sure they have something to write on the in back, the boxes or the whatever. back yeah. of a pretzel wrapper. Yeah, that's right. Um, and so the, the big thing here is, you know, in this time, she sort of ascends to power on the Island. Um, she, she takes uh, Carl as her concubine, um, and, and gets to, you know, use the pretty boy for her purposes at the end. For some reason, these people <laughs> have spent all of this time in like a half mile stretch of the beach and have not tried to see what's on the island. And so one morning, Yaya like says, all right, well, I'm going to go for a hike. Can I borrow the backpack and go across the mountain? And Abigail's like, yeah, sure. I'll go with you. Um, and they go on this hike. And, and in this moment, you can actually see power transfer slightly a little bit the other way. Yaya's able to do this hike pretty easily. Mm-hmm. Um, but towards the end of it, Abigail is uh, is like winded. Like, right, like right. She's, she can't really make the, the moves as quickly. So they get to the other side and what do they find? They actually find there's a luxury hotel built onto this island. Yeah, I don't understand. Like if you just... <sighs> How do you not just explore the entire island yeah. as like one of the very first things that you do? You have to send a search party out to right. find out where you are. Because what if you're just on a little right. peninsula? Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> and, and so there's a point where a guy has to kill a donkey with a big rock. Um, and it's like, okay, first of all, it's a donkey. As soon as you see that, you should know that donkey has to eat something. Do you think this is one of those wild island donkeys? Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, um, the, the the they're just very dumb to not know that they're like given even the constraints of the film they're very right. dumb to not have known that there was s- someone on that island um, because as soon as the donkey thing happened I I turned to you and I was like donkeys are domesticated and uh-huh. you're like yep it's like okay well and even the guy who like you know eventually walks by the the woman who has aphasia and is unable to speak he 
is carrying a bunch of souvenirs, yeah, yeah. he clearly is just casually walking along this beach. Yeah. They didn't just walk that way. That, yeah, they didn't just walk day. both directions on the beach to find like another tourist. He didn't scale a mountain with no. the with that pole on his shoulders. Right. He's assuming that there are going to be people here and he is unsurprised when there are people here. So the, it's just, it's one of those things where, again, it's like, how long were y'all here? Right. Starving? Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, you know, it, it's... Anyway, well, I'll, I'll cover more on that in just a second when we get to the ending. Um, but in the end, when when Yaya and Abigail get to the thing, um, Yaya's like, let's go inside. And Abigail's like, oh, no, let's just sit and enjoy the moment. And she's like, all right, we'll go in, but I have to pee first. She goes over to pee, but she picks up a rock and she's going to, you know, in, in the our expectation, she's going to bash Yaya's head in because Yaya discovered a way to get off the island. Mm-hmm. And on the island is the only place Abigail has power. And she doesn't want to give that up because, you know, Lord of the Flies. Again, poor planning on your part, Abigail. You could have had more power if you just got a pen right. and a pretzel wrapper. I'm saying you got to think ahead, right? Power of attorney. Stay th- three moves ahead all the time, <laughs> Abigail. Uh, but the the thing. OK, so here's what happens. Rock. She's holding the rock. We see the back of Yaya's head. Cuts to Carl running through the jungle over the mountain. Right. Well, we, um, she has a rock and Yaya, we see the back of Yaya's head and Yaya says an absolutely the like, worst thing. Like, like, like Abigail has a moment on her face where it's like, oh, can I do this? I don't know if I can do yeah. this. Kind of like similar with the donkey and the rock. And, and then Yaya is like, maybe you can be my assistant. Yeah. I can make things nice for you when you come back. You can be my assistant. And, and at that moment, she's like, girl, you dead. I'm not like, going, I'm not going to that life. That yeah. life is not for me. Yeah. You're. You're going to die. Uh, and, and then, so but before we see anything, we don't know mm-hmm. what happens. It cuts to Carl running. And and there are two things extra textual to the, um, to the film that inform the intention of the director. The first is the, the note that he gave uh, the guy playing Carl before running mm-hmm. was that that souvenir guy who showed up to the, the lady with aphasia, uh-huh. made his way down the beach yeah. and ran into the rest of the party. Yeah. And Carl was there and he says, oh, we're on an island with other people. This is going to go badly with those two together, with Yaya and Abigail together. Mm-hmm. So he's sprinting to try and maybe save, save mm. them. Um, on the other side, it was asked of Dolly de Leon, uh, do you think Abigail killed Yaya? And she was like, oh, and she like looks at the director. It was at the Cannes press conference, I think. Mm-hmm. She's like, can I say? And he's like, yeah, whatever you say. What can, like, I, can I tell you my guess? Yeah. A hundred percent. hundred percent. Didn't even, yeah, not even a thought. She was like, yeah, oh, of course. Of she course definitely, she did. definitely did. Yeah. The the only thing that makes me, like in the in the absurd nature of the movie, yes, she did. Mm. There, The only reason she wouldn't have is A, if Carl like, got there in time, or B, if she realized there's an elevator to a hotel full of people. I can't commit murder in front of a uh, hotel of 500 people. If you people. have worked on a luxury rock, luxury yacht yeah. and don't expect cameras to be surrounding every single yes. piece of this property, yep. you are a fool, Abigail. Yes. A fool. Yeah. You are absolutely on camera yeah. with your with a rock held over this model's head. Yes. You just are. Yep. And that's that's the end of the movie. They cut before you know what happens. Uh, it is it is the... the uh, it is a huge mistake in my sort of estimation 
on behalf of the film. I realize it's supposed to be all smart and European and yada, yada, but, but damn it, you have to have a point of view on these things. Like you have to, if you're talking in these terms about the human condition and you're going to say, we all become Lord of the flies when we're on an Island or whatever, like you have to have a position on that. You have to finish the story yourself. You can't just say, what do you think happened to audience? Cause like we didn't write the damn story, bro. Your name is the writer on the shit. So you have to tell us what your perspective on this is. And I... if you don't, then it doesn't matter. Cause I already know what my perspective is. Cause I'm a student of history. I think it doesn't really matter what the ending is a little bit. And maybe that's kind of the point too, is the, the what matters is the stuff that happened before they get to, they get off the Island, mm-hmm. quote unquote, off the Island. You know, it's like it, what matters is the, the dynamic shift of the, of the people mm. um, while they're there. And that's the commentary. And it's like the, the point after that is like, maybe it does she take money and go be Abigail's assistant or go be Yaya's assistant or does right. Carl catch up to them and stop them? The whole, like it's at that point, it doesn't matter because the, they are no longer in the isolated world yeah. of the Island, which was the point of it, I guess. Yeah. But we actually have contextual historical uh, like documentation of times where people have been shipwrecked or have been marooned outside of civilization and they don't actually act that way. So the, these, you know, quote unquote real version of Lord of the Flies, there were students, there were six students at a Catholic boarding school in Tonga who tried to make a 500 mile journey to Fiji um, and they got shipwrecked. And so like, you would be like, great, Perfect, uh, like, you know, perfect setup for some real, you know, crazy stuff to happen, right? What year was this? 1966. Was this before or after Lord of the Flies was written? I just wonder if it was inspiration for it. The guy was like, ha I know I think it was after. I think Lord of the Flies was in the 50s, but I I don't know. Um, So there's a memoir written about these kids. Um, It's called Ocean of Light. And they were stranded there for 15 months. But rather than devolve into, like, murder and chaos and, you know, prepubescent rage... It said uh, the boys had set up a small commune with food garden, hollowed out tree trunks to store rainwater, a gymnasium with curious weights, a badminton court, chicken pens, and a permanent fire, all from handiwork, an old knife blade, and much determination. So they were able to keep their signal fire going for more than a year, whereas like in Lord of the Flies, the fire died out because of infighting. And so it's like human beings in small groups, actually pretty good. It's actually the way human beings have evolved, right? Like we lived as small groups of, you know, hunter gatherers for a million years before we became, you know, uh, you know, post-industrial or whatever. And so it's like, I don't, I don't. I think, I think that that's true, but I, 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 I think that there are interesting, again, things about the people who are heading into the situation. Like if you have a bunch of children, they're not necessarily heading into a situation where before they were in the situation, some of them were servants yes. to the other person. Yes. And they're like the, the power dynamic is interesting. The people going into this are clearly all terrible. Yeah. Um, and, and and you you want to root against them. But yes. like, I, if those people had the intention of going in, like, we're all going to pull together and right. we're going to do whatever it is, then like maybe Abigail wouldn't have had to have like, you right. know, taken over in the way that she did. But I, but I guess my point is yes. not that these people like would be as good as children doing these things or mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah. But if that were their situation and they were seemed to be like resigned to it, they would have learned from Abigail how one of them would have said, okay, we're now I'm going to learn how to fish because I can swim and whatever. Yeah. I'm going to learn how to start the fire. Like they would have taken on roles to do those sorts of things because their previous versions of currency had disappeared or 
At the very least, when Abigail approached Yaya at the end, she might've said, well, my power here was temporary and that's unfortunate, but I'm, it didn't make me a murderer. Yeah. Didn't make me the, a fucking murderer. The murderer part at the end aside, like I, I, I totally get that. I think it's, it's interesting because I think the the one person that like the director sort of did dirty a little bit was Abigail. Yes, very much. I don't think that she would have, I, I, I don't know that a person would necessarily go from me like, I'm just the person who's in, tra- in charge of, yeah. you know, maintenance on this boat right. to I am now um, a dictator. Right. <laughs> you know, the other people, like, are yeah. they going to be lazy and not really, like, look to, yeah. you know, to to learn more and, and whatever? Very possibly. It's, it's again, just a, it's the director having more of a critique on capitalism, I yeah. think, than than on people, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah, but it's also, I think there is, it's this idea that says, well, you know, your power uh, in the first parts of the film comes from money, right? right. And that money uh, led you to be corrupt and led you to be whatever, you know, uh, the, the kind of evil person that we want to see, you know, vomited and thrown up on and, and crapped on and stuff. Uh, and so, but now Abigail is the quote unquote billionaire because she has the resources, she has the tools. And so why wouldn't it be the case that someone coming from a lower class when given that power, it becomes corrupted by it, right? And that's that's a, a very, very pro-capitalist thought. And it also excuses, and it's it a thought that excuses these these capitalists because they're like- Absolute power corrupts, absolutely. That, and it's because like, oh, well, I'm I'm only bad because I have money. If you had money, you'd be bad too. So it's not my fault. It's not my responsibility. It wouldn't be your responsibility if you somehow managed to get rich. Like it's it, is, it excuses the malfeasance and bad behavior um, by saying it would happen to anyone. And that's absolutely not true. Absolute power does not corrupt absolutely. Absolute power exposes- like power exposes who you are, who you have been, who have been taught to be. And so the people who perceive money as the ultimate power and, and reach for that, they're a certain kind of people. They're broken on the inside. And so I think that people who are like, oh, I, I learned how to fish. I learned how to make a fire. Though, and they, so those things suddenly become valuable. It doesn't like, they don't have this like decades past of like leveraging every you know, ability to harm someone for their own benefit with those t- utensils is a different thing. It's a totally different concept of value. And so I don't, I don't buy it. I don't think this is a good examination of human culture. And I actually think it's like mildly evil. So I don't know that I agree that it's mildly evil. It's banally evil. I would say like, I think that it, I guess I just didn't like read into that. Yeah. You know, I saw this more as saying that the, the people on board the ship, if we're taught, if we are saying, let's take capitalism to its ends, yeah. right? Let's, let's, let's look at it as what it's actually supposed to be saying. The people on the ship have this power and money and wealth that is unearned, mm-hmm. right? The, if, if we're saying that in like an actual society, like the might makes right. And that's the person right. then these people have might because of, of, false things, right? They're not, they're not the ones that are actually providing value to a society. And so when you take them out of this like extremely contrived world in which we live, where they have somehow come out on top because of the labor of all of these other people, um, they are actually useless. Yeah. Yeah. And the people who provide the real work and provide the real 
benefit to our society are the ones who should have power. And so Abigail is given this power because she is the one who provides the actual value to this community. And that I agree with. That I agree with. But I don't agree with the idea that if you gave labor the power that has been given to capital, that labor all of a sudden would become like evil. It's just different. Yeah, I don't agree that she would necessarily all of a sudden be exploiting Carl for his body. Right. And and murdering Carl's girlfriend. Like Right. I yeah. I don't know that those are those two those two leaps make sense. Yeah. But I think that again it's it I I guess I wasn't really thinking about that quite as much. It was really more just around yeah. like the the commentary on because you even have again, that's why they had that entire um scene with Harrelson and Dimitri going back yeah. and forth about Marxist versus capitalist right, quotes, right, right. right? Is is so that we can see like this is what this guy really believes. It's like bootstraps nonsense. And even when they land on the island, he's yeah. still talking about um about like who has the actual power and right. He's still spouting all of that capitalist nonsense yeah, when yeah, he yeah. is the one who is completely powerless. He's just this like, you know, absolutely frail you he's know, an old guy, yeah. dude who is yeah. unable to provide any value to this culture. Right. And still he is in his mind deluded himself to thinking that he can contribute in some way. Right. When he's not, he's the, when he is the quote unquote drain on society. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I I think all of that is fine. I think that like, if you focus on that as a takeaway, like, yeah, that's, that's correct. and, And right. I just think that the, because the movie doesn't have an ending, like you have to sort of think about like what what is the in, what is the director trying to say and the director leaves this film saying i mean in the best case scenario saying nothing saying you figure it out in the worst case scenario saying oh the everyone's just as evil as possible it's a very nihilistic interpretation of human behavior and uh you know hey you're given power everyone is corrupt and wrong and bad. I, and yeah. I don't, I don't find that to be the case. And not to say that like, you know, this is uh, that women wouldn't blah, 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 blah. But I, I think that again, if we're going to take this and say uh, there, the, the, the director is also talking about sex and gender yeah, yeah. in a lot, in a lot of this film as well, especially at the beginning and the, the way that Carl and Yaya interact with each other. Yeah. Um, and the way that, that Yaya is very much, I mean, they both are using their bodies for currency. Yeah, um, but she uh, is getting more from hers. <laughs> she's getting more from hers. She's more manipulative yeah. with hers. Um, and and then all of a sudden, again, that sort of switches because yeah. the person who has power is a woman. But yeah. again, I don't, it, sort of going back to this, I don't know that the logical leap is like, well, a woman is in power and she would be just as bad as a man. Yeah. And she would you know, take advantage of this man, just like men take advantage of women. Like, I don't know that that necessarily bears out in history or like matriarchal societies. Yeah. I don't, I don't know either. Uh, but I will say like, uh, using Oslin's wife again, as a example, mm-hmm. because she's a fashion photographer, uh, male fashion models do get paid about a quarter or a third of what oh, female yeah. models get paid. Um, and so he, he leveraged that as like, the one, the one time where like women actually get paid more than, than men. Or right, like, right. All right. Well, whatever. But uh, I think we should probably conclude because sure. we're, we're running long. This film has been nominated for three Academy Awards. It has been nominated for Best Achievement in Directing. So Ruben Oslin is nominated for Best Director. Mm-hmm. Um, it is Best Original Screenplay. Again, Ruben Oslin. Mm-hmm. And Motion Picture of the Year. So Best Picture. 
Uh, a couple of things uh, it did. It got nominated for Best Motion Picture, Musical or Comedy in the Golden Globes. And Dolly DeLeon got nominated for a Golden Globe in uh, Best Performance by a Supporting uh, Actress in a Supporting Role. Mm-hmm. She also got nominated as Best Supporting Actress in a BAFTA. And Austin was nominated for BAFTA for Best Original Screenplay. So All right. obviously well-received. We're talking about Oscar nominees here for Best Picture. So, uh, you know, it's people people seem to like it. Um, what do you think? Would you write, rate and recommend whatever? <laughs> I, I would say uh, more positive than not for me. Okay. Yeah, three out of five stars for me, I said. Um, I, I, it would have been three and a half, which would have been like, a, yeah, recommend if you are into this sort of thing, right? If you are okay with the type of comedy, if you don't get too grossed out by the middle section, um, then I would have recommended it. If it weren't for the ending. The ending knocked it down like a half star. And so I'm like, I don't actually think like, you know, I'm the person who watches all the best pictures. So like, okay, go see it. But you know, I I don't, I don't like the destination that this ship arrived at. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, Next week, we are going to change things up a little bit. I think we talked about it. Um, The movie Woman Talking just came out this week on VOD, but it's only available for purchase for $20. Right. And we don't want to force you guys to pay $20 to watch a movie that you may or may not have watched anyways. That's right. It, is probably going to be out at some point on Hulu, yeah, but eventually. who knows? Yeah. I, again, we had a whole conversation earlier off mic about how I just, it is kind of wild to me that this movie is nominated for best Oscar or best, best uh, film and they are not available anywhere. Like, yeah. Or like it was only just, just available to buy, not to rent or whatever. Don't want people to watch this yeah. film, I guess. So instead... Much to my chagrin, we are going to watch the film Elvis. That was not Elvis. That was Fat Albert, wasn't it? I'm Elvis Presley, Uh everybody. Uh, No. So, uh, yeah. So we'll watch that. It's on HBO Max. uh, So it is available to those of you who are subscribers, uh, which you all should because HBO Max is actually pretty great. I have a lot of content. Anyway, uh, that'll be next week. It is a whopping two hours and 38 (sighs) minutes long. Why? So prepare yourselves. Like, I don't hate Baz Luhrmann in the way that you actively do. Yeah. But I just don't know why we need a three plus hour long movie about Elvis. I don't know why. It's two two plus hour, but yes. Sorry, in my mind, it's the same. (laughs) Uh, Look, all I'm saying is get your Australian ass back to your prison colony and stop trying to talk about American culture that you clearly don't understand. But we'll get into that oh. next week we on the, the movie. Cross-cut. We haven't even watched the movie yet. <laughs> I already have thoughts on it. Um, but yeah, thanks everybody for listening. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Uh, you can find us on Twitter. We are at the Crosscut. On Instagram, we are at the Crosscut Pod. And uh, yeah, reach out to us. What did you think about Triangle of Sadness? Did this ship float or sink? <laughs> oh no. Okay. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>